Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the examination of Jesus as the Passover lamb. This was what I believe is a fulfillment of what the Lord our God intended with regards to the Passover laws that he gave the laws of Passover to not only commemorate what happened in the past, but to also prophetically speak of what he would do in the future. Just as the Passover lamb was selected on the 10th day of the month and examined up until the 14th day of the month when it was killed, it was sacrificed, so also the Lord Jesus was selected on the 10th day of the month by the people as the Messiah. He was examined by the leadership groups there in Jerusalem, and then he was crucified on the 14th day of the month. And so these programs are about the examination when he was evaluated to determine if there was any blemish on him. But in this context, the blemish has to do with sincerity and truth. And so they are questioning him about things in order to determine if he's dishonest, in order to determine whether there is any truth in him or not, those kinds of questions. In the previous program, I was talking about the Herodians and explaining the question that they asked him with regards to the tax money. He answered their question by telling them that if they are going to trust in Caesar for their lives, for their basis of society, then they can do so. And if they are going to trust in God and in his ways for their basis of society, in him for their lives, then they can do so. The living God has given us the ability to choose, to decide if we want to believe in him or not, to decide if we are going to follow him or not. He has given us the freedom to decide, and we, of course, will experience the benefit or the penalty of our decision. Accordingly, if you will not believe and trust in the Lord Jesus as your Messiah, then you will have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in this program, I'm going to proceed and talk about the Sadducees. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 23, it says, The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, and then they proceed with this question, which I will get to in just a minute. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's in verse 23. They say there is no resurrection. Now, what would this imply? Well, we could say that if there is no resurrection, if we don't raise from the dead, then we might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. We could go along with that. But that is not what the Sadducees did. It doesn't mean that you have to believe in the indulgence of the flesh. They did believe something else. The Sadducees believed that the law of Moses did describe a very good way of life. That of all the different options that a person has, especially considering that this is their only existence, that there will be no resurrection, of all of the options that they have at their disposal, the Sadducees took the point of view that the law of Moses would be the best option. 
that it really does describe a very good way of life. And if you were to look at the law of Moses and study the law of Moses and consider the consequences of committing evil and sin and doing things that are harmful to yourself, then you could easily come to that conclusion. It's reasonable to say that it is a good way of life. That was the position the Sadducees took, and so that was how they embraced the law of Moses. Now, the Pharisees could accept the Sadducees to an extent from that point of view, There can be acceptance. There can be the ability to work together because from the Pharisees' point of view, at least they were observing the law. So even though they may not have believed in the resurrection like the Pharisees did, they could at least agree on how we are going to live before we are resurrected. That was how the Pharisees related to the Sadducees. The Sadducees, however, believed that there was no resurrection, and so we need to live our lives the best way we can right now. The law of Moses was a very good model, a very good way to live. But in addition to that, they did live a life building wealth. They were a very wealthy group of people. They did have a lot of businesses. They did interact with the Romans a lot more than the Pharisees did because they were more available to have a sense of loyalty to the Romans because they did not believe in the Messiah in the same way that the Pharisees did and many of the people. They did not really believe that they would have a need for a Messiah. And so because of this belief that they didn't really believe that they would have a need for the Messiah, they were able to have a unique relationship with the Romans in the sense that the Romans could pay them for services that they would perform or they could pay them for the goods that they would provide through the businesses that they developed, they would have an opportunity to be the recipients of what the Romans had in terms of their money. They had a greater opportunity than the Pharisees did, and so through the increase in transactions, they were able to develop a significant amount of wealth. Not all Sadducees, all people who believed in the Sadduceical philosophy, but enough of them that in general, the Sadducees were looked at from this point of view. So when the Lord Jesus came on the scene and the Sadducees saw him as a person who the people would consider to be the Messiah, well, then Jesus became a threat to them, a threat not philosophically, not religiously, but economically. Because if he is the king, If he is the Savior, the Messiah, if that's who he is, if he sets them free from Roman rule, from Roman authority, that is going to affect their way of life. It's going to affect their ability to develop more wealth, to engage in more business. It's going to affect that. And so the Lord Jesus was a threat to their job security which is one of the reasons why the leadership said that they needed to find a way to get rid of the Lord Jesus, because he was threatening their job security, because the Romans would come and take away their place and their position. So the Sadducees approached the Lord Jesus on the basis of the resurrection from the point of view that they had a pretty good life already. Why would they have a need for a Messiah? What did the Lord Jesus really have to offer them? That's the position that the Sadducees were taking with the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus really have to offer? They had the law of Moses. They were living by that to the best of their ability, supposedly. They had plenty of wealth. They had a good position. They had a good future. 
What did Jesus really have to offer? If there is no resurrection, is Jesus going to offer them an increase in wealth, an increase in prosperity and position? No. There's no indication that he's going to do that for them. So that's what their question is really about. Their question inherently is, why do we have a need for a Messiah at all if there is no resurrection? Now, I believe, of course, that there is a resurrection, that there is an eternal life. And so what that means is, is that if there is an eternal life, then a decision is going to be made later with regards to what our eternal life is going to look like. And Jesus came to say that it's either going to be heaven or hell. That's what it's going to be. And that this is going to be a decision. And it's not going to be their decision. It's going to be his decision. He's the one who's effectively going to decide if they are going to have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven or not. The criteria that he presented to the people was that they would have to be completely obedient to the law. Of course, they would not succeed. They would never be able to achieve that, which is why he provided for forgiveness and invoked a new covenant, which provided a different set of criteria, not a criteria based on repentance and obedience, but criteria based on grace and mercy. That was different criteria that he established in order to invoke the new covenant, that we are to receive his mercy, his grace, in that way, through our trust and belief in the truth that he has revealed, and in the person of the Messiah himself, he will provide us with salvation. Salvation being the forgiveness of sins, as we acknowledge our need for forgiveness, and also through the resurrection, through his resurrection, he provides the Holy Spirit of God to us that we can receive if we will acknowledge our condition and accept his provision Then he will provide for us the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam that will resurrect us from the dead right now. We will be made alive right now through the indwelling presence of the life of God. So that when we physically die, the evaluation that will take place will be an evaluation based on the criteria of we are either dead or alive. We are dead in our trespasses and sins or We are alive in Christ Jesus because we have been resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If we are dead, well, then there's only one thing you can do with something that's dead. You throw it in the fire. If you are alive, then you have a place among the living with the living God. That was what the Lord Jesus had to offer. That's what he was there accomplishing. So the Sadducees approach him with the subject of the resurrection, and they give him an example. Beginning in Matthew chapter 22, verse 25, they said, Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now, to them, this was a good example. To them, this was significant. In verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. 
but concerning the resurrection of the dead. And then he goes on and gives his explanation concerning the resurrection that will definitely give them something to think about. He explains that they are the ones who are mistaken because they do not know the scriptures and they do not know the power of God, that there effectively is no marriage in heaven. That's not what heaven is going to be about. That's not what heaven is going to be like. There isn't going to be marriage. Marriage has its place. It has its importance. But its place, its importance, and its purpose is for here on earth, not for the kingdom of heaven. There will be a different way of life in heaven such that this simply will not apply. So their question is about something that does not apply, that does not exist. His answer is that they're asking a question that has no relevance, no relevance at all. And then he proceeds in verse 31, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, of course, just because they were astonished doesn't mean that they're going to embrace his teaching. Just as the Herodians marveled at what he had to say, the Herodians marveled when he gave his explanation and then they went their way. Just because they marveled doesn't mean that they're going to believe, trust in, and follow the Lord Jesus. So also, just because these people are astonished doesn't mean they're going to believe in the Lord Jesus and trust in him. It just means that people marveled, that they were astonished, and that's probably as far as it went. But consider the significance, the significance of what Jesus says when he said, Have you not heard of this God, this God who identifies himself? When he speaks to people, he says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's who I am. I am their God. Now, how impressive would that really be if Abraham is dead, if Isaac is dead, if Jacob is dead? And what I mean by that is that they are certainly physically dead, but if they were not spiritually alive, if they were not alive with him in the kingdom of heaven, if they are not living eternally in the eternal space, if they're not there, if they are not in existence, if they are not continuing to live their lives, but living their lives in the spiritual realm, if this is not happening, then how impressive is this God? This God who says, I am the God of these dead people. Is that what he's saying? I don't think that's what he would want to say. I don't believe that he would want to say, I am the God who could not resurrect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who could not give them more life after the physical life that they have. And for him to say in the present tense, I am the God of these people, that says even more. It says a lot more that they are in existence, but if they are a bunch of dead guys, then this God certainly is not as impressive as perhaps we would like to think that he was. They were astonished at his teaching. Perhaps 
They never heard this before. They never considered this before. This might have been the first time that this was ever considered, ever spoken of in the history of people from the time of Abraham to this time when Jesus is speaking about it. But that is the significance. If there is a God and he is who he has claimed to be, there will be a resurrection. And you should live in anticipation of this resurrection, anticipation and expectation, and look forward to the new life that you will have, the life that you will continue to live after this life that you have here and now comes to an end. And so the Sadducees were put to silence. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Now, to be a lawyer, what that meant was that he was a person, a Pharisee, who helped to establish new laws. It doesn't mean that he was a person who helped people in trials. It meant that he was a person who defined and established new laws. The program that I produced, Do Not Do According to Their Taka Note, will give you some more information and insight on this subject. But in this case, one of these people asked him a question. Now, this does not appear to be a question that all of the Pharisees got together and defined. It appears to be that this is a question to keep Jesus busy while they are trying to figure out what they are going to ask him. But continuing in verse 36, he asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, this was not a new commandment. It's not a new thing that the Lord Jesus is saying as some kind of a summary of something in the law. This is a quotation in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. It's a commandment that he identifies as being the most important. It doesn't mean that the others are not important and that they don't have their place. But if he was to pick and choose and answer questions such as this, this would be his choice. And then he proceeds and he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is a quotation from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. That is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And a lot could be said about that, that certainly if you were to love the Lord your God, and you were to love your neighbor as yourself, you may find that you are observing all of the commandments that the Lord our God gave. If you are not, then it is your understanding of what it means to love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. It is your understanding that needs some adjustments. But in this case, this is how Jesus answered the question, and this seems to be satisfactory to the people there. So in verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David, in the Spirit, call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. 
What was the significance of his question? The significance of his question was that they did not know who the Messiah was. They did not know. If they would have answered his question like I believe they should have answered his question, they should have replied by saying, well, he's able to call him Lord because the living God would manifest in the flesh and be among us as a person and be our king, be our Messiah. It would be God himself manifested in the flesh. He chose to come as a child born into this world in the way that the Lord Jesus was, that he would accomplish his work in that way, that he would start right from the womb and go all the way to the tomb. And because it would be the living God himself, David could speak to him as Lord and would not violate the laws concerning children honoring their parents, that this could be accomplished because it would be God manifested in the flesh. That is the answer that I see to this question. However, the people did not understand that. They didn't see that. Or if they did, they're not going to answer the question that way because they don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, that he is the Messiah. They don't want to acknowledge that. So he effectively silences them all by saying that they don't even know who the Messiah is. And so what business do they have questioning him to determine whether he qualifies as being the Messiah. They have no business asking him anything, which is why from that day on, no one dared to question him anymore. That was the end of his examination by the people, whether they understood that this was fulfilling what was foreshadowed through the Passover laws or not, I don't think so, but it is something that we can reflect on now and we can see a fulfillment taking place as it parallels the laws of Passover. Now, of course, this does not mean a whole lot to our culture today. It meant a lot to the culture back then because the laws of Passover had a lot more relevance to the people back then than they have now. In fact, if you really consider the questions that the people asked the Lord Jesus that I have explained in these programs, if you really consider these questions and understand that these questions have very little relevance to what he really came to accomplish, it says a lot. It really says a lot. Consider the chief priests. They just asked him, by what authority and who gave you this authority? By what authority do you do these things? What does that really have to do with him being the Messiah? What does that really have to do with it? The Herodians asked him about the tax money. What does the tax money have to do with him being the Messiah? The Sadducees asked him about the resurrection. There certainly is significant importance when it comes to the subject of the resurrection, but they did not see the resurrection in the way that they should have seen the resurrection. They did not approach the subject of the resurrection according to the gospel, the gospel being the restoration of the spirit of life. Jesus rose from the dead in order to send the Holy Spirit back to us so that that would raise us from the dead, the same spirit that was lost in Adam, that this is the relevant problem. The relevant problem that Jesus came to solve was the restoration of the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam and Eve as a result of their sin. They ate from the wrong tree, they sinned, they died. The Lord Jesus came in order to forgive the sins 
of the world so that he could restore the spirit of life that was lost so that people could be made alive. Problem and solution. The questions that they were asking him had no relevance to the real problem between man and God. But Jesus still came in order to resolve that problem. This is one of the reasons why they were selecting the questions that they were selecting. They were selecting the questions that were important to them, but these questions were not important to God. They were not as relevant as the issue concerning the spiritual death of humanity. Now, he certainly could have spoken to them through the revelation of the fulfillment concerning the laws of Passover, as I've described in these programs. He could have spoken to them in a way that they could probably relate to what he was accomplishing. I certainly could relate to these laws as I saw them being fulfilled, as well as the other prophecies relevant to the Messiah being fulfilled. On that basis, I was able to see that Jesus was the Messiah. But it wasn't until I understood the nature of the problem between us and God that I understood the solution that he provided and that he spoke of so often. It was only then that I was able to move forward in the new faith that I was able to enter into through the New Covenant. Today we have the same issues, but today the people who we interact with generally do not have the kind of foundation that the people in Israel had that the Lord Jesus could use as he was speaking to them. Today, people have different foundations. They have different philosophies, different ideas. If you were to ask someone today, how would you know if you had a Messiah? If the Lord Jesus was standing right in front of you, What questions would you ask him in order to evaluate him to determine whether or not he qualified adequately to be your Messiah? People might say things like, well, if he invokes world peace. Well, what does that have to do with the restoration of the Holy Spirit? That's my point. And so it's important to consider the foundation that people have, their understanding of the nature of the problem between them and God, and they are going to have to embrace what God has to say about the problem between himself and them. They're going to have to accept that in order to recognize his solution that he provides with the Messiah. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net